Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet. I'm Sinead. And I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast exploring the lives of the great poisoners and macabre murders from across the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the tales that we tell. And it's episode 79. 79. 79. Yay. Almost 80. Uh, almost 80. Yeah, that's a high number. Oh, so close. Yes. What should we do at 80? Have a big party. Or a moderate-sized party. Moderate-sized party with just two of us. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> it's your idea of a perfect party. It is, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, she, None you, of these other people, Malarkey. No, you like to have like one or two other people there just in case you grow weary of me. This is true. This is true. Yes, I do tire easily of people. <laughs> While we like to hang out a lot, there is the odd time where I go, I see you all the time. Yes, and... can, 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 we, can you go away now? <laughs> <laughs> I need someone else to, to pad out the incessant <laughs> yapping that you do and then we throttle each other and then we have wine it's great how are you nick i'm all right yeah, yeah right. fine all right <laughs> let's see if one today is one of those days where we throttle each other <laughs> <laughs> well it's hot today it's still hot oh, woe is me it's like 26 degrees oh, uh, we all got confused everyone got confused storms and rain tomorrow i hope i like those this is much better much better well you know what we're in september now we are we're officially edging towards spooky season <laughs> spooky, spooky season is nearly uh, upon us <laughs> i've decided the spooky season the spooky month is october but right. september is spooky season right okay so the spooky season lasts for what, a month before and a month after yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the pumpkin spice lattes are everywhere no pumpkin spice nothing well any poisonings this week um i'm no pumpkin spice related pumpkin or none pumpkin spice related or otherwise um, <laughs> and no I don't believe so it's been a very uneventful week in oh. the poisoning world oh that's a shame oh, it's disappointing must try yes. harder next week you should you should probably shouldn't actually <laughs> that was a very Thought dramatic pause through. there <laughs> I was actually genuinely thinking about it and went no, this isn't how I want to go to jail. No, this is probably not a wise move in the grand scheme of things. No, I'd rather we went to jail for much more extravagant reasons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, speaking of committing extravagant crimes and boiling to death, I think it's time for us to thank our delicious Patreon subscribers. Yes. Okay. Every week. You Every just... <laughs> week. Okay, what the fuck are you talking about? They knew what they'd signed up for. Thank you very much to Amber. And to Paul Ruse. Thank you so much, lovely, lovely, sexy Patreon subscribers. They're very sexy. We love you very much. We also have uh, a little bit more love this week to hand out. More, Seems very you say. extravagant this week. I know. We're too generous with our <laughs> love. <laughs> that sounds a bit wrong, that doesn't does, it? Doesn't it rather? <laughs> Being generous with our love. <laughs> very extravagant with our love. <laughs> and then very expensive with our love. And then it slides into problems. No, we have a promo for you this week. So this is a new podcast from the minds of the delicious Matt and Freya, who you may know from Full Movie Podcast. They have a brand new podcast out. They're rebranding. They're doing new things. Have a listen. Hello, this is Matt and Freya. You might remember us from such podcasts as Full Movie Podcast. Well, we're back with a brand new show. Introducing the Royal Philharmonic Chainsaw Massacre. A brand new podcast where we will discuss the latest movie news, review films old and new, and take a deep dive into the film by asking challenging questions such as, why is Limitless called Limitless when there are actually limits to his limitlessness? Or, who would you cast in the remake of? 
streaming this? Sorry, I, I recently watched that film and I've got it on my mind. Other films will be discussed on the show. So join us soon for our brand new All Singing and Dancing Film Podcast. Only available everywhere. That sounds very exciting. It is. I love a movie podcast. No, 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 no. you, love, you love a movie. I do love a movie. You do love a movie. We're big fans of them. They are wonderful members of the podcast community. Go listen to their stuff and 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 send them cheese. Yes, who doesn't like cheese in the post? <laughs> well, Nick. Yes. Are you ready? No. To drink cocktails and talk about poison? As long as it's a cold and too hot. Ooh, if it's not cold, would you rather drink I poison? I think I would, to be honest, yes. And talk about cold yes. cocktails? Yes, absolutely. We're a hot s- cocktail. How unpleasant would that be? Well, a hot toddy. Yeah. A hot cocktail. Ooh, 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 hot cocktails. I'm not, I'm not convinced by that. No? No. Ooh, listeners. <laughs> ooh! <laughs> Get Just, your handbag. Ooh! <laughs> I'm sensing the outrage of some of our listeners. Dive onto those comments. Tell Nick about hot cocktails. Are the hot cocktails a thing beyond a hot toddy? I mean, literally, that's the only kind of one I know. Yeah. Uh, hot gin and tonic? <laughs> that's all I have to say to that. <laughs> I've never had one. Yeah, I mean, you just made that up and it sounds vile. Have you, you know. ever heard of that before? Pu- yes. Really? Yes. Seasonal. Seasonal. <laughs> Seasonal hot gin and tonic. <laughs> yes, for the summer. I don't know which season. No, it's a hot gin and tonic. I swear, I've heard it. A no. little, little tiny voice in the back of my head is going, have you made this up? Should you I? have made this up. You it's dreamt not, this in a, some sort of scary fever dream. A hot gin and tonic is a thing. It's the stuff that they bring out for autumn, which apparently we're in, even though it's hotter than the sun. No, no none of that. Okay. I refuse to acknowledge such a thing exists. First of all, there are hot gin and tonics. Second of all, are there more hot cocktails that we should be trying as the winter months descend upon us? Not now. <laughs> Should we go with the first one and have a cold cocktail, yeah, traditional, Let's and do then that. maybe discuss murder and... I might put it in the kettle as well. See what happens. <laughs> Boil it up. <laughs> or just leave a bottle of tonic in a hot car. Nice. You want a hot um, gin and tonic? Yeah, there you go. Flat. <laughs> Uninspiring sadness. <laughs> well, we'll go with the first one. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Nick's story this week, but we can't, we can't, we can't possibly have a story without a cocktail in hand. As you know, dear listeners, every week we choose a secret ingredient that is inspired by the tale that we tell and will flavour our cocktail of the week. Is your house going to explode? Oh, very possibly, yes. <laughs> yes. No, he does this all the time. It's been, it's been doing this for the past three years. If there are weird sounds in the background, it's because Nick's boiling system... Boiling system? My boiling system. Your, your boiling system for cocktails, your boiler, is not well. It's because I feed it with cocktails. Is <laughs> <laughs> one not supposed to do that. The radiators are churning Negronis yeah. around and around. Get a Negroni in any room I go to just by bleeding a radiator <laughs> when Negroni's to hand. Delightful. Sitting on the floor with your glass going, this is weird. <laughs> it's not weird. <laughs> is it not the sign of a breakdown <laughs> Nick's story this week so you get to choose secret ingredient I do and I did now ingredient this week is it yes ingredient. it is yes, tasty tasty so this week's secret ingredient is is a fur coat a fur coat it's delightful in this goddamn weather yeah absolutely toasty toasty warm now is it real fur or fake fur I suspect this particular one may well have been real boo yeah unless it was human fur <laughs> what <laughs> And you think I make things weird? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you sitting with your radiator cocktails, me in my coat of human you fur. You in your coat of human fur? Mm, yes. Right, okay. So a fur coat as an ingredient, an inspiration. Let's, let's go with inspiration. I have not literally wrung out a fur coat. No, that would be awful. That would be unpleasant, I feel. Oh, that would be so bad. Or are you going to make a cocktail while wearing a fabulous fur coat? While wearing a fur coat. Oh, that was an option I hadn't considered. At least yeah. I don't have a fur coat. But if only it were that, but it's not. But it's not that. It's, it's going that. to be a delicious cocktail. So with a fur coat as your inspiration... With a fur coat. What are you going to make? I'm making you a fur collar. A fur collar? A fur collar for your fur coat. Oh, okay. It's the name of a cocktail. Is it? Yes, it is. Okay. I don't know how to feel about that. (laughs) It's furry. You'll feel lovely and tingly. (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't know. As you swallow furry things. I don't know what's going on there. Or wear a fur collar and you go, oh, it's just a tingly. Tingly. (laughs) very exciting okay i think it's important that we make a cocktail <laughs> and drink more and drink more fluids i think is important <laughs> i'm intrigued by this and by the story as well the fur coat is the inspiration mm, sounds decadent so i think it's time for us to go into the poisonous cabinet kitchen and shake up a storm so we'll see you in a minute we'll see you in a bit 
And we're back. Hello. So, Nick, a yes. fur color. A fur color. Yeah, it doesn't look furry. It doesn't look furry. I'm probably slightly grateful to that, to be honest. You haven't just furry. brought out a pot of yogurt that was past its prime. <laughs> that would be unpleasant. That would be. It's, it's very orangey. It's orangey. It's, I don't know why. There's something disconcerting about the color. Do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking orange and then I'm thinking, is it just orange juice? And then I think to the golden Cadillac and then I get upset. <laughs> no, it's very, it just looks very orange and pale, like a, like a refreshing drink. Well, one would hope so. One would hope so. Okay, so the fur collar, fur not, collar. not the fur not coat. the fur coat. Right, I'm going to have a little sniff. Yeah. It does smell orangey. It smells drinky. It smells drinky. Okay, let's dive in mm-hmm. and have a little taste. Merry Christmas. Okay, Merry Christmas. Oh, okay. Ooh. What? Um, right. I was not expecting no, any of that. Oh, I so set myself up there for something really citrusy <laughs> and really sharp, and I, so I'm I'm just thrown now. I haven't really absorbed what that was <laughs> because it was just. Oh, it's none of that. It's none of that. <laughs> none of the things What's I was happening? thinking it was. Nah. Oh, um, uh, oh, oh. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. All right. I need. I, I need to have a second slip because yep, I need to get those thoughts out of my mind now. <laughs> and a clean slate for the cocktail. Mm. All right. I'm trying again. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's certainly very, very different to what we would normally very have. Very different. I don't know if I like that. I'm not a huge fan of that, to be honest. It's sort um, of got a lot of harsh alcohol flavours up front and none of the sweet or even sharp aftertaste. I think I think it has potential. I think the quantities given are way off. I feel like it's strong. Would you care to hazard a guess or two? Does it have orange juice on it? It does have orange juice on it. I'm only basing that on the fact that I saw a carton of orange juice on the side. <laughs> but I think... That's, that's cheating! That's very true. I should not go into the... I sometimes go into the Boys' Cabinet Kitchen where you're making stuff to help or to get stuff to get... Just to, to get make in a, the way or spy. To just dance around in front of you going... I shouldn't do it because I see the carton of orange juice. I think, okay, it's going to be a citrusy, orangey hit. And of course it isn't. Obviously there's a bit of it in here, but it's lost behind... Yeah. Some sort of, I don't, <laughs> it's a strong alcohol flavour that's in there. And then there's something, I don't know if maraschino is in there? Uh, no. No. I don't know that it's gin? Nope. No. So is it vodka? It is a lot of vodka. Is it a lot of, see, see that's it. That's it, there's too much vodka. You know what, it tastes a little bit like a screwdriver. Well, it's very, very close to a screwdriver. So it is vodka and orange juice, but we also have apricot brandy. Apricot brandy? Yeah, indeed. So orange juice, vodka, apricot brandy. Yep. What else? That's it. That's it. That's it. That's awful. <laughs> that's not a cock... What? What? <laughs> so that's it. I thought I would try this one because I have very fond memories of drinking screwdrivers when I was younger. Yes. These used to be my drink of choice. But then screwdriver um, is orange is, juice, vodka just, and Galliano, is No, it? just orange juice and vodka. Oh, it is just orange juice yeah. and vodka. Um, Harvey Wallbanger is um, oh, excuse Galliano. Me. Yeah, so, um, so just orange juice and vodka. Um, I drank an awful lot of those when I was younger. Um, I quite like apricot brandy as well. It's got, I think, it's got quite a nice taste. Yeah, but the, just the proportions are way off. Come to the proportions in a minute. Also, don't don't ever hark back to what you drank when you were a teenager. <laughs> True, your um, palate is more refined yeah, now. Yeah, my my rose tinted view of me when I was twenty, <laughs> knocking back pints of vodka and orange juice. I know, and I was on the arches and lemonade. I never was into screwdrivers because oh, well people called them a screwdriver you know in in my house but a little <laughs> splash of orange juice a shit ton of vodka and it, it i don't think it works i don't think a screwdriver works i think unless you've got freshly squeezed amazing probably american or california beautiful beautiful fresh orange juice that you have there the, the fresh orange juice we have here is not as good i i, I personally think um, oh, just from a cocktail not good enough for you it, with this cocktail the concentrate is not flavorful enough it's watered down <laughs> as it is you're just putting sort of watered fruit juice in with vodka which is unless you're using a really refined vodka it's not gonna leave this, any this prisoners made Sinead angry but i feel i feel like i have failed miserably i must <laughs> well, apologize what are, what, what are the quantities <laughs> no it's fine it's all terrible i'm sorry i'll make something else what are the quantities so we've got two ounces of vodka oh, in that's, there. A, that's a, lot. a lot of vodka that's 50 yeah. to 60 mil that's yeah it's a lot, it's, it's, it's a lot. Double shot. we've got three quarters of orange juice which needs to be up and half an apricot brandy, which again, so the vodka needs to come down or the other two needs to go up. I think it does have the makings of something that is, would be nice, but I just think just the proportions are all wrong. 
It does feel like someone gave up. <laughs> yeah, potentially. When this is too difficult, I give up. <laughs> I don't have the time or the patience to, to refine this. No, the, the orange juice needs to come up there. Because a screwdriver surely is, you know, a double shot of vodka, but a and lot, lot of orange juice. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. then you've got the sweetness in there. Yeah. British oranges or not. <laughs> apricot brandy in there, mm. Nick. Apricot brandy. Mm. It has no place. <laughs> it doesn't. Well, go on then. You go and make a cocktail. Off you go. I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's not so dreadful. Oh, I'd be yeah, happier if yeah, it was really yeah. dreadful. I'm just angry. I'm disappointed. Well, I've got some milk in there. Did. I'll oh. throw that in there for you. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who this would appeal to. <laughs> I you, try 20-year-old me. Okay, master mixologist. 20-year-old you, channel that. <laughs> what is your thought on this? Oh, it's not good at all. <laughs> well, don't have a go at me. Yeah, but I like having a go. It's fun. <laughs> I feel personally attacked. <laughs> you didn't make this up, though, Nick. Or was this going to be your big reveal? It was. It's like, oh, crap. Oh, no. I, 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 spent, I spent days and days. <laughs> if you didn't, no, clearly. I, didn't. I did not. No one spent days and days on this. They went, hey, screwdriver. Let's just take that orange juice way down. Throw some apricot brandy in there. Done. Dusted off their hands. Sorted. Walked into their office, to their boss's office, and went, I am done for the day. And they're like, you don't even make cocktails for a living. What are you doing? So you're not a fan, though? Uh, no, no. Are we uh, going to drink yeah, it? I might add some more orange juice. You know what? It's, it's, it's come to it. It's like one of the few times uh, it's happened where we've had to abandon a cocktail. Did not finish DNF. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to finish it. Fine. Because to make it better, you would need to add a lot of orange juice. And orange juice can And the be... orange juice I've got is not good enough for some <laughs> I didn't want to say. Unless it is special Catalonian oranges that have been hand-squeezed... They're hand-squished the... this very day by on my the... own personal squisher. On the thighs of a virgin. No, then it is not the same, my friend. It's not the same. If you drink it, Go. you're just going to get too drunk and sad. Be gone. Make me want to. <laughs> Okay, I think we're going to have to do the wavy lines to make a spare cocktail for the for the story. Okay, we ready? Okay. Well, we're back again, people. And yes, we did go and make another cocktail. Now we haven't cleared away the other cocktail. It's all just, just lying. There's just many, many drinks just lining across the table. And we have made. Sinead has made that. Sinead made me a cocktail, I feel deeply honoured. I was very happy to do so. We have made the classic, the delicious, the unforgettable, the espresso martini. Good choice, good choice. Felt like a bit of espresso. Feel like we need it. It's a hot day and mm-hmm. we need something cold and also that will wake us up. So a little try of my little concoction. That'll do the trick. Mm, nice. Added some walnut bitters to it this yeah. time as well. All the coffee. Certainly better than that other monstrosity <laughs> well with our espresso martinis firmly in hand the fur collars we have cast aside onto the bed of rejects of the things we're going to yep. wear out tonight is it time for a story yes Yay, go so i was writing the episode this week and i was looking back at some of my old episodes and i realized that when i do when i write i have a seem to have a habit of trying to make the murder a surprise <laughs> or, or not to reveal too much at the beginning and i don't know why i have this habit but then because I realised, well, everyone always fucking knows what's going on because it's in the episode title. So, <laughs> so why do I bother? Why do I bother? I do understand that. We build up and then we say, it's the tale of such and such. I do not know at the time of recording <laughs> what the story is that Nick is well, going to tell us. I am going to tell you. I'm going to come straight out with it. Okay. We are having the story of John George Haig. Okay. Yeah, you're... Ooh. Just wait. Just wait. Oh, that, that sounds familiar, a, I think. Well, as, well, it should. Okay. A seemingly respectable middle-class man full of charm and wit who declared himself a vampire <gasps> and had a habit of dissolving people in acid. Oh, man. Is, God. of course, the acid bath murderer. <laughs> this story but i'm so excited you, you must have heard the story i think i've heard of the name it may be in it, was, it was a film so oh, was it yeah to be honest i don't think i've heard the acid bath murderer but i feel like i've heard the name john hay so well you're gonna hear all about it now good pretend i know nothing Excellent. takes me on a journey so i mean obviously with a complete lack of foresight into doing this episode in the future <laughs> i would already use baths and acid as secret ingredients <laughs> in, in, in previous episodes as like so bear with me the the fur coat will make an appearance although after that one it probably really shouldn't so question is how does someone grow into a vampire who melts people with chemicals um, it is an age-old question i'm sure you'll agree <laughs> so to find answers we must go back to the beginning 
all the way back to the beginning of time. We can start right back there. So John Haig is born on the 24th of July, 1909. Now, both his parents are fanatically religious. Okay. Um, and belong to the Plymouth Brethren. Ooh, the Plymouth Brethren. Are you familiar with Plymouth Brethren? No. They are a puritanical offshoot of Anglicanism. So originally came about in Dublin in the late 1800s or so. And they believe the word of the Bible is above all other things. So mm. they have no priests, no bishops, any of that. None of that hierarchy of stuff. It is one person and the Bible. That's yeah. all you get. That's all, all you that. need. <laughs> that's all you need. Well, exactly. That's all they need. Anything else apart from that is a extravagance is mm-hmm. sinful. No music, no newspapers, no magazine, no sport. All of that is the work of the devil. Now, Haig's father believed that the world indeed was full of evil and the family needed to separate themselves away from it. And so they moved to a village in West Yorkshire. Oh. As far away from people as they possibly can get. And in the, the house they buy, his father builds a massive fence surrounding the property, keeping out prying eyes and also keep the outside world away from distracting the family from their heavenly duties godly duties godly no, duties exactly this does not bode well it does not no it's not the start of a happy child he's a single he's a lone child mm. um living in this rather strict strict is mildly putting it i feel Desperate, environment quiet cut off place so yes it was all very dramatic now john is as a child he is frequently reminded that he is under constant observation by a higher and usually disapproving and grumpy power <laughs> Up there on a cloud, he is watching everything you do. (laughs) There is a god on a cloud. Exactly. He likes to watch you in your sleep. (laughs) And that's exactly what John is told. (laughs) The child does not sleep for several years. No, exactly. John's father has a birthmark on his head. And he tells his son that it had been the result of him sinning in his youth. That he he had been visited upon this mark as an outward sign of his ungodliness. How old is he? When he's told this? Oh, he's probably around 10, 11, something like that. So if, if John was to do anything similar, the same thing would happen to him. Oh, um, yeah, exactly. So you'll see, John is completely terrified that God is always watching him, sees everything he does, and this is a lad going through puberty. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's about the time I lost my faith. Yeah. Growing up in the Catholic Church, and just when things were starting to happen, like lying awake at night going, God is watching God everything. God is watching, uh, yeah. Maybe if I just close the blinds on this shit. <laughs> he won't he notice. He won't know what's going nope. on in God here. God sees all things, even through blinds. <laughs> if you think about what you were told in your youth as well about God, is that he can see through walls, <laughs> He can fly. He can. He's fucking terrifying. <laughs> John becomes obsessed that he is going to receive a similar punishment to his father after the slightest transgression, and that this is going to mark him out as evil for anyone else to see. The devil's mark. But it is also believed that a turning point came for John when he realised that actually no blemish is going to appear. He did something he he knew he shouldn't have done, that his father and his mother would disapprove of, but no mark appeared. So he now, rather than realise that the whole thing is utter bollocks, he starts to believe that he is in fact invincible, and that even God cannot touch him. Even that God has tried to give him this, this punishment, but it has failed. He is himself invincible and this is he's still probably like early teens at this point but you can imagine if you've been brought up in that environment of higher powers are around you all the time you cannot Mm. escape this if it doesn't happen you're not going to go with oh it doesn't exist because your world shatters it's going to be i am the chosen one exactly i am so unbelievably special i'm the special one who was foretold to come (laughs) i mean we've all been there in our youth we there was a little bit of us every time going I think I might be the chosen one. And then Dad said, no, I just wanted a sandwich. Haig later claims that it was during his teenage years that he first started having dreams that would continue throughout his life. He describes a sort of gothic nightmare. Nice. Um, There is a forest of crucifixes that turn into trees that weep blood. Yes, mate. (laughs) He remembers a hooded figure running between the trees, collecting the blood in a cup and then bringing it to Haig to drink but he always woke up this is just a standard dream for you and i <laughs> speak for yourself dear oh yeah forest full of crucifixes la, 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 congoing down that there we go oh they start bleeding blood <laughs> it's the stuff of horror film beauty uh, absolutely after leaving school haig's parents said that he has to go and get a job and start learning his own living he cannot rely on them for the rest of his life he's got to 
I'll be able to be self-sufficient and be a man and all that sort of stuff. This was potentially a, possibly a mistake, as the previously sheltered young man is now out in the wide world, believing that he is invincible and he has a great deal of time to make up for. Oh, nice. All the things he could not do in his youth, he's out there and not even God can touch him. <laughs> Oh, this does not bode well. It does not, no, it does not bode well. He starts as an engineer's apprentice, but leaves after less than a year, quickly deciding that manual labour is not for him. Yeah, it's all very dirty, all that grease on your hands and things, none of that. His supreme self-confidence leads him to many, many jobs in sales and insurance and advertising. Um, <laughs> any Anything that demands snappy dressing, the gift of the gab, that oh, self-assured yeah. vibe, he's got it. The and, devil's work. <laughs> exactly, and he he's there he doesn't care who he's what he sells or who he sells it to as long as he gets his commission or he gets his buzz of completing a deal at the end of it it's a precursor to glengarry glen ross clearly <laughs> by the age of 21 he has already been fired from several jobs for suspected theft and over promising in deals in 1934 he stops attending his parents church completely and marries beatrice hammer 21 year old woman he, he barely knows but that his parents have picked out for him as a suitable bride she is also suitably religious Good name. Um, good name. Beatrice Hammer. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice, strong, hammery name. You just went, stop. Hammer time. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that's exactly what they had going down the aisle. <laughs> her in her big baggy pants. <laughs> There's a choir. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. Da, da. That's how exactly Can't touch how this. Works. We're religious. <laughs> the marriage lasts four months. <laughs> And ends when Haig is arrested for fraud. His policy of selling anything to anyone has come back to bite him um, quite a lot. And after several of his customers realise he has sold them entirely fictional insurance policies. He is found guilty and sent to prison. Now, while locked up, Beatrice gives birth to a baby daughter. But realising what a terrible mistake she has made marrying John, she gives up the child for adoption. Haig only sees his wife once after he is released from prison. And in that meeting, he tells her that they were actually never officially married. He already had a wife. What? And that their marriage was was null and void. Oh, okay. It's all bollocks. Oh, it's all bollocks. It's, it's, all, it's all bollocks, but he comes out with this lie. Am um, I suspecting his ego cannot take being dumped? I uh, yeah, if he's that much of a salesman, <laughs> slick, slick talking. Yep. No, I never wanted you anyway. Yeah, I had precisely. another much hotter wife, by the way. Exactly. We've it's only all, heard about this now. It's really? all it's all rubbish. But that is the last they see of each other. He I, had a wife who lived in Canada. Yeah, I don't even know if they get divorced, but they never see each other again after his time in prison and his wife leaving him Hayes decides that a new start is in order mm. and in 1936 he moves to london and becomes a chauffeur to a mr william mcswan 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 that's a quite an unusual name did he make that up i don't I, that i don't know he just went my name's swan mcswan, uh, McSwan. McSwan. sounds more fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now mcswan he owns a a string of amusement arcades yes. in london and um, throughout the, sort of the east end of london things. oh yes and oh, so with he's his, a mcswan is he's he? a mcswan absolutely he's a cockney scot <laughs> Um, Haig becomes a close friend to William and also to William's parents who originally had started the business and had passed it on to their son but they were still involved in bits and pieces and the three, the four of them would often get together for meals and and things like that and he got on really well with the family. Lovely. So much so that they soon promoted him from chauffeuring to a more senior management role uh, where he is very successful in skimming profits off the top. Um, (laughs) I was going to ask, like, how did he get promoted to from chauffeur to what, like, more chauffeur? No, no, into like a yeah, into a management role. Oh, into the family business. Into the family business. Rather than we're going to get you a bigger car, sir. <laughs> exactly. No, we're no. going to let you drive bigger distances. And he is oh, he is dear. happily skimming off the top when people go around and collect the money from their arcades and things. He's there pocketing a few coins and thingy each time. That's such a shame because arcades, famously honest businesses. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Eventually he decides to leave and the family are devastated to see him go. He is such a hard worker. He's such a nice chap, but no, he's off to make his fortune elsewhere. With a big sack over his With bag. a big swag with swag written on it. <laughs> <laughs> his next project involves setting up a false solicitor's office. No. Um, supposedly managing the sales of property um, and stocks that have been left by recently deceased people. He is managing all these estates and things. Of course, they all end up being entirely fictitious and people lose hundreds of pounds. 
This enterprise earns him four years in Lincoln Prison. Oh, okay. He's good at running these things, but he's not good at not getting caught. Well, he's been these caught things. twice now. He's been hasn't caught he? twice, and he's been suspected of a number of other things as well. Yeah. These fraudulent things. He's really good at selling stuff and convincing people to sign on the dotted line and stuff. And he gets their money, but then they go, "He's got my money," and the police go, "Okay, let's go and arrest him." <laughs> I like this better though than than the stories we've covered before where we've got oh he must have done this and it was suspected he did this which is all hearsay actually it just seems like this guy is on record of doing all of this shit and he yeah. did get caught because and he got caught generally if that happens you do get caught exactly and and he did but it is while he is in prison that he realizes that all his arrests and all his incarcerations have come from a single mistake Okay. And that is leaving his victims alive to report the crime. No. <laughs> he wouldn't have got caught if, if no one was there to go, he's taken all my money. No one would have come after him. Uh, yeah, that's the natural evolution. <laughs> I don't know why I'm surprised. I so, don't know why I'm surprised. Every time it's like, hmm, the reason that I'm not a criminal mastermind and this hasn't worked out is people are blabbing. Yes, because people are talking about it. So if I kill all the people, yes. no one will talk about These it. These Sherlock Holmes books did not help me at all. He spends the rest of his sentence devising what he believes to be the perfect crime. He learns a great deal from other prisoners. Um, and also the prison library is a gold mine of information. Um, he avidly reads books on law and he comes across a legal term that he sort of slightly fixates on. Term of corpus delicti or delecti. I'm not sure how it's pronounced in ah, Latin. Ah, the delicious corpse. The delicious tasty corpses. Delicious corpse. It literally translates as the body of the crime. Now, John takes this very literally, reasoning that it actually refers to the body, they, the human remains. No, it doesn't. Um, well, no, exactly. That's how he interprets it. So he, he believes that it refers to the actual physical remains of a human and that if there are no remains, <laughs> if there is no body, there is no crime. The, the, there has to be a body to be able to prove a crime has happened. But then he, re- he realises, well, how does one get rid of a body if he is to follow this train of thought that he is convinced about? <laughs> In Latin. <laughs> as incorrect as he may be. <laughs> <laughs> He has got this train of thought. So how does he follow that through? How does he get rid of a body? The prison library comes to the rescue once again. And in an old newspaper, he reads about the case of a chap called George Alexandre Sarratt, who had been executed in France a few years prior. Part of the court his eye, though, was how Sarratt had used acid to yes. dissolve his victims. I've heard of this case. Um, and a plan was now forming in Haig's mind. <laughs> much of a plan it's it well he's got read a, one line that's that, that, it throw do. the book back i have no more need of this library you probably should read the rest of this story <laughs> nope thank you very much indeed not in the prison's <laughs> workshop um he has access to bottles of sulfuric acid as one does in a, in a prison what? workshop they they have a tinsmith shop there and they use it oh, to sort of right. strip metals and things oh, like that i suppose they do so yeah. it's all under kept under watchful guard and things they can't just go and get a barrel of it and cart it off they don't have a basic latin dictionary <laughs> that's what they don't have <laughs> he uses dead mice from around the prison of course and conducts experiments to see horror. how long it takes for flesh and bone to dissolve of a mouse of a famously mouse. similar to a human well being. but no from he's able to he knows the weight of, of a mouse and how much acid and how long it takes that quantity of acid to dissolve a mouse of that size and he's able to calculate how much acid and how long will be required to dissolve a human body. Uh, and he has this formula that he now thinks will work. He will weigh someone, they want to know how much acid he needs and how long it's going to take. I'm just, there's still the, the arrogance of oh, yeah. a mouse. All I have to do is times that by 50... And it's the same. Did he sew the mice together to form a human body? <laughs> I don't believe so. No, uh, I don't believe so. No one questioned this whatsoever. He was, <laughs> well, he was quite mice subtle. Into acid. <laughs> Just leave him there on the side in a little glass jar and then seeing how it come back and then, oh, it's gone. So that's fine. Have a hobby. That's yeah, it. well, exactly. It's something to do. It's something to do. In between all of the, reading those all those law books. Um, <laughs> <laughs> need to have, yeah, as you say, need to have a hobby. Oh, God. On his release from prison, he gets a job as an accountant at an engineering firm. And using his wage, he rents a base space at 79 Gloucester Road where he sets up his workshop 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 <laughs> he calls it a workshop oh god one evening at a pub in Kensington um Haig chances upon his former employer uh William McSwan 
the two old friends spend a great evening catching up, reminiscing, probably not revealing he spent the past four years in prison. That may have been skipped. A bit away for my health. Turns out that McSwan, he is out of the, the amusement business. Oh. Um, he is now a landlord, managing multiple properties that his parents have purchased after the sale of the arcades. Mm. They've, so they've swapped industries. Haig is very happy to spend evenings with William and his parents catching up, talking about old times. His parents tell him all about their recent investments in properties, how they can't believe how much money they're making. And over the next few weeks, Haig becomes more and more jealous of his friend's seemingly lavish lifestyle, the clothes he wears, company he keeps and the places he goes to, and he gets more and more angry. This all should be mine! On the 9th of September in 1944, Haig invites McSwan to his workshop to supposedly see a project that he's working on. As William enters the workshop, all he sees are a wooden table, a large 40-gallon metal drum, and several glass carboys on a table. Oh. And then black. Oh, nothing. Oh, God. What was the thought process behind this? Haig later wrote in his confession that he had an insatiable craving for blood and that he had hit William McSwan over the head with a pipe and slit his throat, catching the blood in a mug and drinking it. Wow. (laughs) Where did this come from? Well, it's from all his dreams of bleeding trees and such like that had plagued him for his throughout his life. Oh, that. Oh, that's quite. Yeah, it's not. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. This this kind of craving for blood. Oh, Jesus Christ. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. After he has had his fill of of blood, he says he's crammed the body into one of these metal drums and filled it with sulfuric acid. Mm-hmm. He describes how the fumes overwhelmed him at first and he had yeah. to go outside and retched. But later he comes back in, covers the drum, goes home to sleep, leaving mm-hmm. his friend to slowly dissolve, dissolve into a sludge. Two days later he returns to the workshop and pours out this disgusting <gasps> liquid down a manhole <gasps> next to the workshop. Haig is euphoric. It has worked perfectly his calculations <laughs> did the trick down perfectly he came back exactly when he thought and there is nothing left apart from a gloopy mess in this barrel that no oh, one okay. would ever know what it was i'd love that he's celebrating immediately my plan has worked my plan perfectly. has worked 
Perfectly. You've, you've killed someone. You need to do more stuff. I don't know. <laughs> that was the plan. <laughs> that was the plan, to kill someone. But how is he now going to benefit from his life? Haig manages to convince McSwan's parents that their son had gone away to avoid conscription. Oh. The draft. So we are in. The, we are still in the midst of the Second World oh, War God, at the of moment. Of course, yeah. I think, I think Haig himself has been... He's been in prison for much of it. The army do not want sort of these really evil nerd-wells. So he wouldn't have been drafted. But McSwan, he is a fit young man, um, Mm. no criminal history. So there's every chance that he could be called up to to fight. Uh, Okay. So he convinces the parents that he's run to avoid this. And he even sends fake postcards to them from Scotland pretending to be their son, saying that he is alive and well and all is good and he'll be back as soon as he can. Oh. Uh, they are not to worry. William has asked Haig to step in to manage the property, collect the rents and do all this while he is absent. Now, initially, the parents are, are happy to go along with this. They are relieved that their son is not going to go off the fight, that he's mm. managed to avoid this somehow. It may be slightly questionable, but they he's escaped. He's going to be safe. So they go, yeah. fine, OK, all is well. But soon they start asking too many questions. No. The elderly McSwans disappear on the 2nd of July, 1945. Oh, God. They are killed in exactly the same way as their son, hit in the head, throat slit, dissolved in barrels of acid. Good God. Hay convinces everyone that the couple had gone to America. They've actually followed their son. Their son is now in America. They have followed him there. He is. He arranges for all their mail to be forwarded to, to him, including Mr. McSwan's pension. Of course. Of course they do. He forges their son's signature on a power of attorney form and is able to sell off all their property. They have the several properties that they're renting out. He managed to sell a lot of them off and comes away with £6,000. That's over that's over a quarter of a million in today's, in today's money. money. He sells it all off and pockets the cash. Staggering that how much he could do without being present. Absolutely. And that's on one forked signature, and he's Ugh. able to do all of this. Chilling. Now, with his newfound wealth, Haig moves into the Onslow Court Hotel in Kensington. Ooh. It's a very fancy sort of residential hotel. People have lived there years and years and years. People stay there permanently, really. Yeah. It mainly caters for mature women, women who have lost their husbands or something potentially during mm. the war through the first world war and they live out the remainder of their lives in comfort amongst friends oh, um, yeah. and things like that so they're not having living by themselves in a big house somewhere the fanciest hotels that you can imagine like the ritz or you know all of these places where glamorous widows would go okay i don't want to keep a property for myself i'm going to go and live in this suite i'm going to come down i'm going to drink martinis at five every day i'm going to have my breakfast laid out my dinner laid out it's fabulous that is my plan for the end of my life yeah but hey he's there in his in his sort of like 30s 40s yes he's moved in harvesting with his eyes (laughs) so he's he stands out a bit but the old the women they're not too bothered they've got a nice handsome young man to talk to Mm. things like that they're quite happy so no one really bothers him however the mcswan's money doesn't last long in fact only a couple of years Mm. and he gets through it he is careless with this sudden windfall he loses much of it to an increasing gambling problem of course um and the hotel is starting to get impatient about overdue bills so he has to find some more cash and fast this time he chooses Dr. Archibald Henderson and his wife, Rose. Lovely names. Excellent names. Loving this. The Henderson are selling their house in London and they want to move to Brighton. Fancy. It is a quite a grand house, up Ooh. for a considerable sum of money. Yeah. Now, Haig visits several times, feigning interest in purchasing the house, and he notes their tastes and interests and things mm. like that. During his last visit, he tells them, sadly, a business deal has fallen through. He's no longer able to buy the house after all. But could he take them out for a meal by way of apology for all the inconvenience that he's put them through Mm. over the past few weeks or so? And absolutely, they say, fine, of course, let's go out somewhere. During the meal, Haig is on top form, full charm offensive. And the couple are amazed about how much they all have in common. They like the same music and the same books and the same theatre. It's an amazement that they haven't met before, really. He strings them along for five months, learning everything he can about their couple, their problems properties their bank accounts their family situation he knows it everything he can certainly play the long game when he needs to but he never loses sight of his true objective (laughs) now during this wooing of the hendersons he moves his workshop from gloucester road down to crawley town to the southwest of london Mm. there he rents a much larger space where he can fit in a great many more barrels (gasps) 
um, and it's much more isolated. It's not as built up, and so people aren't going to see him coming and going and things like that like they would have done in London. On the 12th of February, 1946, Haig invites Dr. Henderson to visit his new workshop and again see what exciting projects he's been working on. Like William McSwan before, Dr. Henderson is happy to come along, see what his friend is up to. When they arrive, Haig pulls out a revolver and shoots the doctor in the head, leaving the body where he falls. Haig leaves to fetch Mrs. Henderson. He tells that her husband has fallen desperately ill and she must come at once. And of course she does, uh, rushes to her husband. When they arrive, Rose sees the doctor's body on the floor. But Mm. before she has a chance to do anything, Haig pulls out the revolver and shoots. Haig dissolves both the bodies in acid. But then comes a slight flaw in the plan. In now what seems like a major flaw, his new workshop had no drain oh no he had no like in previously he had a manhole cover he could take out and straight into the sewers here it's a bit more rural a bit more (laughs) a bit more rustic there are no there's no infrastructure like that so So it'd be like a cesspit that you'd have to have for several houses yeah well indeed you can't roll a barrel out you can't roll a barrel he doesn't seem to bother hey too much though he just dumps the remains in the corner of the yard just straight on the floor this sort of black gloopy sludge just seeps into the earth hopefully it'll rain in a few days be fine no one will know what the hell's going on and a human tree will grow (laughs) and a human tree will grow his efforts to maintain the illusion that the hendersons are alive Mm. is incredibly precise and thought through he forges the doctor's signature in a letter saying that the couple are going abroad that he gives permission to haig to sell their property and that haig would then pass on the money to them abroad he even forges letters in rose's handwriting to her brother explaining their sudden travel plans and saying we're going away we'll be in touch john haig's a great friend trust in what he says type thing it's very all thorough. come oh he's in he, well he spent five months getting to know these people mm. getting to know probably their tone of voice in letters and mm. studying her handwriting so he can forge to convince to fool her brother i mean he has progressed from ridiculous criminal to God damn it, this is yeah, well thought it's out. well yeah. thought out, well planned, absolutely. Now, Rose's brother, though, is not entirely convinced by this. And he says he's going to go to the police. He's going to go and report them missing. Though Haig manages to convince him, in the end, that they have, in fact, emigrated to South America. He says that Dr. Henderson had carried out an illegal abortion. And something went awry. Something went wrong with the procedure and he had to flee. I mean, I'm not crediting it, but it's qu- he's quite good at picking out the things that you'd have to Absolutely. run from. Absolutely. And obviously, no obviously questions ab- asked. abortion horrendously illegal at this point. Yeah. Um, Rose knew about it, knew what her husband was up to. Yeah. We don't know exactly what supposedly happened during this mm. abortion, but if the, the woman died or something as a result well, of this... I mean, all you have to do um, is say the words abortion, he has to run. Exactly. Brother sort of goes yeah fuck okay and yeah, sort of backs no off slightly yeah. um knowing if he pushes it and it's true he has landed everyone in it Haig has done it again he sells everything that hendersons have except their pet dog Aww. which he, he which he keeps as a lovely little keepsake and the dog is safe for the rest of time nothing happens to the dog untowards he sells everything else but i like the dog i'm gonna keep the dog in all of this <laughs> imagine a mountain of hatred and shit <laughs> that this man has done there's a tiny tiny gem at the bottom going oh the dog survived the, the dog's fine the dog survived he, he, he was at, nice to he, the dog he was nice to the dog therefore he's fine oh that's just upsetting <laughs> yeah he continues his life of comfort at, at the Onslow Court Hotel now with the money from the Hendersons you would have thought that he would be set for again another good few years and perhaps he was and now he was just in it for the fun he later wrote again in one of his confessions that one evening he noticed the obituary of an old schoolmate recognizing the name he made plans to to visit the man's mother hey remember that the the man was an only child his poor grieving mother must need someone to to look after her care for her in her old age that this is gonna be me i shall do it i shall go and look after this old lady of course he will of course he will nothing untowards there not at all thankfully the well thankfully but the plan was foiled when the the, the old woman died of natural causes before he could get there oh god damn it <laughs> before he could make god the trip. damn that old woman <laughs> so very inconvenient of her by 1949 Haig has been living at Onslow Court for for four years now during this time there he had made the acquaintance of many of the other residents maybe one of these rich old women would be the next victim one evening while he was dining at the hotel a woman approached his table she was dressed in quite a grand fur coat and a big feathery hat that was it (laughs) there's more don't worry it comes back okay (laughs) 
He knew this woman wasn't a resident. He'd seen her in passing. Didn't know much else about her. They had exchanged pleasantries in the halls and things. Mm -hmm. She introduces herself as Mrs. Olive Durand Deacon, and she needed his help. Ah. Intrigued, he invites her to sit. And Mrs. Durand Deacon explains that he, she has heard he was an engineer okay. um, and that she needs his help with an idea she has had. But from her pocket, what? she produces a box of false fingernails that she has designed. Shut up. She has, what? She has designed some false fingernails for the, the fashion conscious lady. Uh, are you fucking kidding nope. me? That she has designed false nails. Yep, false nails. She's mid 60s or so. Oh my God. Thinking, I need to look good and I can spread this looking good to other women and they'll pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I love her thought process of just false nails for women. I need an engineer. Well, she she what? needs she needs someone to get the idea from the design stage into manufacture. Into how do I go about actually getting this a, a little box here to yeah. on the shelves in boots or something? Okay. So she thinks that he might be able to help, or he might know the people. That, that would money was not an issue Fabulous. she assures him he will be generously rewarded if money he can, is if he can never help. an issue money when is it comes never to your nails. An issue. <laughs> <laughs> on the 18th of february haig drives a very excited mrs duran deacon to his workshop where he has promised to show her some great <laughs> oh, no! ideas that he's been working on she was a genius she was a, genius. She was a pioneer <laughs> of the false nail why why is this happening it set it back so many years <laughs> No, and he takes her to the workshop. Takes and her they to live the workshop. Ever after. No, they don't. No, as she oh. enters the room, he pulls out the revolver and shoots her in the back of the head. That bastard! <laughs> after removing her jewelry and the fur coat, she goes straight into one of the barrels, and he leaves the acid to do its work. The next day, the staff of the hotel are rather concerned that. They haven't seen Mrs. Duran Deacon. She um, stands out. She stands out, and she's always down for breakfast. Never misses it. But she's most important meal of the day. Most important meal of the day, but she's not there. One of her friends at the hotel, Mrs. Lane, is also very worried. Mrs. Duran Deacon had not said that she was going away anywhere. She wasn't going to visit anyone. She had no reason not to be there. The weekend comes, and Mrs. Lane is determined to go to the police. Um, something is seriously wrong here overhearing this talk in the dining room Haig's sense of invincibility takes over and he offers to drive mrs lane to the police station to help make this report and he does oh shut up he drives mrs lane to the police station and report mrs Drandeacon as missing Haig does not make a good impression though from the start um he has he is incredibly smug and condescending to the policewoman who was taking their statement she thinks that nah, something's not right here you good. are you are an utter bastard something is wrong I mean, there's nothing better than a condescending man to a woman of authority. Yeah. Just, I think I know what the situation is here. Really, sir? That's juicy. <laughs> idiot. Yeah, a complete idiot. Absolutely. But he is convinced that he is untouchable. Of course he is. Police decide that they do want to take a closer look at John Haig. And by Monday, his criminal record has come to full light. In the meantime, Haig has returned to the workshop in Crawley and emptied Mrs. Durand Deacon onto the ground and taken her jewellery to be valued. I mean, the, the yard must be just bubbling, bubbling. <laughs> yeah. And just is now growing weird shit. <laughs> little mutant trees in the These corner. These mutant trees, yeah. So, speaking to other residents, at the hotel, people remember seeing Haig and Mrs. Durand at dinner the week before Good. when she had said, I need your help. They also remembered Haig's job as an engineer. They thought, didn't he have a workshop somewhere? They knew he had something out toward Brighton somewhere. Does not take police too long to track down this workshop. And on Saturday the 26th, they visit Crawley and they find the empty barrels, the empty carboys. Uh, they find a gas mask. In a drawer, they discover a recently fired Enfield revolver and a dry clean ticket for a black fur coat <laughs> that was quickly identified as belonging to Mrs. Durand. Mrs. Durand. The fur coat The fur coat re reappears. Ah, it wasn't just a one-off. <laughs> no, 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 it's a, it is a black fur coat. It's a black, she, yes. Oh, she's, she's desperately glam. Yes. Absolutely. Bitch for wearing real fur, but still. <laughs> it was the style of the time. It was the style of the time. When Haig returns to the hotel on Monday evening, Inspector Albert Webb is waiting for him. No. Can we just reference the fact is he going to be caught in a web <laughs> no oh no he's, he's not at all that night at the police station john haig is delighted to confess all what i've destroyed her with acid he says you'll find oh. the sludge that that remains at lepold road every chase is gone how can you prove murder if there is no body 
he's going back there to his is. his interpretation, his wrong interpretation of corpus delicti. But he is convinced without the body, without they can the do body. nothing. They can yeah. do nothing. Even a confession without evidence yeah. is insubmissible. He went on in his confession to add the McSwans and the Hendersons, claiming that he had killed them all so that he could drink their blood. Oh my God. He's just, did they even get through... Any of the allegations. They sat down. So, John, I will admit it. I drank their blood. I killed them all. I drank their blood. They're all sludge in the yard. Okay, so to conclude, did you want to your coffee? We're still getting the pens. What's your name? (laughs) We don't even have the paperwork yet. Please hold on before you tell us everything. No, no, he doesn't hold back in the slightest. Oh my God. Dr. Keith Simpson is sent to examine the workshop in Crawley. He finds bloodstains on the walls um, from the the beatings over the head with a pipe or from the revolver. Um, He finds a hat pin at the bottom of one of the 45-gallon drums. After a rather meticulous search of the yard, he finds Mm. a gallstone in a patch of earth Mm. that was black and damp and rather squidgy. All this earth and residue is collected and taken back to the police laboratory. And there they are able to extract 28 pounds of human fat. (gasps) Part of a foot, 18 fragments of bone, two more gallstones, and a full set of dentures that are identified as belonging to Mrs. Duran Deacon by her own dentist. Mrs. Deacon's dentures. (laughs) Mrs. Deacon's dentures (laughs) are there amongst this sludge. Now, despite the forensic evidence, Haig is still convinced of his interpretation of corpus delicti, that without a Mm. body, there is no crime. Mm. You could not be convicted on the weight of confession alone. There had to be corroborating evidence. And so Haig goes on and on and on, confessing to anyone and everyone how he had carried out the perfect murder that they cannot touch him for. As soon, though, as it is... It is explained to him that corpus delicti does not refer to the body as in the remains, no. but to, to the body of evidence yes. behind a case, um, of which the remains could be a small part of that. But so could the forensics and witness statements mm. and confessions. Um, he starts to change his tune slightly. <laughs> As part it's of so good, as, as part of these conversations, he casually asks what the outcome would be for anyone who is declared insane. It's just, uh, just look up the Latin. It's all you need to do, no. mate. Just, just put this. Mm, yeah, something corpus. The body is there. No, mate. It, no, no, this is more of a general body here. It's yes. not an actual. It's not corpse. an actual body. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he, yes, he's starting to consider that he's not as as invincible as he always thought. Now, some accounts say that this is the time that he started adding in the details about his vampiric blood drinking into his confessions mm. with the aim of increasing his chance at an insanity plea. Oh, nice. And avoiding uh, the noose. Okay. He okay. knows he's okay. really fucked up. So he's trying to make it look as he is mad as a box of frogs. On April the 1st, 1949, he stands trial for the murder of Olive Durandeacond. The News of the World paper has done a deal with Haig and mm. paid for his defence. What? In exchange for an exclusive story. Fuck the News of the World. <laughs> if you want any more evidence of why fuck the News of the World, it will be this, historically. Yeah. Indeed. <gasps> he is still confident that he's going to get away with it. At the very least, they're going to say he's mad. Mm. That's the worst that's going to happen. And he'll spend the rest of his life in Broadmoor and all will be well. They have It's all comfy there. It's fine. <laughs> he's comfy, comfy, comfy Broadmoor, yes. Comfy, well, it's better than a noose. He, in his mind, it's better than a noose. Is it? Well, the prosecution calls 33 witnesses and demonstrates a clear path of the murders being committed when Haig is running out of money. They, they are rational, they are planned, and certainly not the actions of someone with diminished responsibility. Psychologists who have interviewed him agree that although Haig suffers from a wide variety of mental health issues, he is not insane. Perfectly aware yeah. that his actions are illegal and wrong Mm. (laughs) and that he should not be melting people the defense they come back and they give details of his blood-soaked dreams confessions to blood drinking all in efforts to portray him as a madman (laughs) 
it takes just 17 minutes to come back with a guilty verdict. Just 17? Seven, I knew you were thinking 17. My that God. was one minute, 16 minutes for sandwiches. 16 minutes for sandwiches. Yeah, Absolutely. the buffet, the buffet. Was, actually, the buffet must have been shit, actually, yeah. 16 minutes of just, oh God, it's just volivants, chicken legs. This is just crisps. post-war, so there's not much on offer. So. Okay, just crisps and nuts. That was it. Not even good nuts. Maybe a brick. <laughs> Bits of crumble break. The mortar is so tasty today. The judge sentences to be hung until dead. Yes. While waiting for his execution, Haig writes his exclusive account to the News of the World, which is where we get many of his confessions mm. and things from. <laughs> He's also absolutely delighted to receive a request from Madame Tussauds for a death mask. Of uh, course, <laughs> Madame Tussauds. Cash in on this shit. He even specifies which of his clothes he should be dressed in mm. and donates his own wardrobe. He is someone who has such massive yeah, self-importance ego. and ego to, to th- for him to think that his last thing will be to be in Madame Tussauds for thousands upon thousands of people to see day in, day out, forever. It mm. is the height of fame for him. The acid bath murderer is hanged Wandsworth Prison on the 6th of August 1949 and his waxwork is erected the very next day day <laughs> seriously madame two swords i mean if there was a more ambulance chasing oh God, organization just sitting there going is he dead right get that shit up that and charge the children pennies to come absolutely. in absolutely oh my god so there we go it's the story of the acid bath murderer Yay! and his rather crazy ways that is a good story i mean that's jesus that's up there oh with- god yeah it, it it does remind me of Graham Young. Yeah, oh yes, indeed, yes, absolutely. Just the arrogance and true, just the... True, true sociopath, uh, absolutely. ...audacity of yeah. the man to do things. I will I will not pour over the Latin. I've had <laughs> two and a half cocktails now, but it is He a got common, it very wrong. He did. Well, it's a common misconception the same way of habeas corpus. People think that is produce the corpse of the body. It's no, it's bring the prisoner, produce the person, but just have people sort of read it and then go, yep, that's I know what, what that, that means. means. <laughs> I shall be fine, just read the next line, mate. Just read the next yeah. line underneath it. Get a Latin person. <laughs> there are many. Do yeah, there are lots, lots of them for in you. Wandsworth Prison. Exactly, Wandsworth <laughs> Lincoln Prison. Lincoln Prison he was in at the time. What? So. Lincoln Prison. Beautiful prison. Beautiful prison. I've actually been to Lincoln. It's very nice prison. Full of Latins. <laughs> Full of the Latins there, wandering about. But that's, again, the sign of the arrogance. Oh, the arrogance. Oh. I don't need to actually look at this properly. I don't properly. need to look at it. I don't need to ask anyone. I know what it means because I am ordained by God. <laughs> it's also, he's completely insane. But, well, no, I don't know. I think he's, no. I think he's insane. He's an utter sociopath. Yes, you're so, right. I should quantify that as in, like, I'm saying it, he's insane in the he kind knew of, exactly like, what he was it, doing. But not for the insanity plea. But at the same time, is that he knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, yes. But it's the, the insanity part, which I don't know what the other word would be for it, the other <laughs> description. That's the only reason I'm saying insanity, is that he's sitting there going, confessing yeah confess i did this i did that i did some other stuff i thought about some stuff and i didn't do it (laughs) and then i thought about some stuff and i did do it but don't worry because i've read one line of the law (laughs) no 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 but he got away with it for years he did how he got away with i mean obviously a son and his and the parents Mm. and convinced everyone that they had they had left the country he had he had fled conscription no one questioned it it's the chilling thing, isn't and it? And the Hendersons, the doctor and his wife, no one questioned it. It was only the one friend at the hotel where he he obviously got too greedy, too desperate to don't yeah. shit where you eat type thing. Because <laughs> yeah. if, yeah. if he had done something a bit for with someone further afield, someone less connected to him directly, he yeah. would have got away with it again, I think. It goes back to genuinely greed, the greatest oh, poison yes. of them all. Absolutely. Because greed behind all of these stories, and this one in particular, if it wasn't motivated by greed, he wouldn't have kept doing it. He mm. wouldn't have tried to push it. He wouldn't have done that. It showed that, yes, he did commit almost, I don't know, perfect murder in inverted mm. commas. He was able to yeah. get with it. No one questioned it. He came up with a great story. He came up with a great method. If he could have just done that once, and if I, I'm, the the chilling thing is, there are people out there just for the love of murder, just to have done it, will have done one thing once and then mm. gone, okay, I'll walk away from it and will never be caught. But he's chasing that. He's doing oh more, more. I need more money. I need more of this lifestyle. 
And that's what gets people caught at the end yeah, of the day. In nearly does. all of the cases we've covered, it's greed. It's a compulsion that makes mm. them carry on until you're caught because you're going to slip up somewhere. He was able to do that and no one battered an eyelid mm. before one fabulous woman. <laughs> before dear Mrs. Lane, oh who missed God. her friend. <laughs> Probably Mrs. Play, Lane. Playing cards. Her friend was late for her breakfast or playing cards in the evening. Decides to kick up a fuss. Doesn't it show, though, you know, the families, the business people mm-hmm. around, for all of their friends, for all of their contacts, mm-hmm. no one batted an eyelid. But one lone widow <laughs> yeah. in a fabulous coat yeah, and exactly. hat who had bloody well invented <laughs> false nails and I can't get over it. <laughs> she was struck down in her pride. I don't know the history of manicures. I really don't. I don't I don't even do manicures. I don't have false nail. I'm obsessed with all of my friends' false nails. Avenge her death. Wow. What a great little twist to that story. It's so good. That had everything, Nick. That had goddamn everything. A terrible cocktail, a better cocktail. <laughs> I'm, I've taken a roller coaster emotionally, Nick. I don't know if I'm prepared to go on with the rest of my life. What a story. Thank you, Nick. And the cocktail was a. Yeah. You know what? Try. I might tweet. I might have a play around with it. That one, yeah. actually. Because I think it. Yeah, I think it could be interesting. Try the fur collar, people. Mm. See what you think about it. We will put up the recipe on Friday. Mix yourself up an espresso martini because it's fabulous. Or your favourite cocktail to enjoy with this episode. But most importantly, what do you think? What do you think about the story of John George Haig? It's a famous one. People have mentioned it before. Was he truly a vampire? No. No. <laughs> Just no, no. Not. Just no. Did he did he truly get away with it? Was he making stuff up for the news of the world at the end? I suppose that's always an element of it. Is he taking credit for crimes that were unsolved at the time? Well, I'm gonna add in a slight aside, there were he he did seem to claim credit for three other murders mm. for this time. That he said he that he he confessed to there was never any evidence or any no. report of people going missing at the time some people went ah oh, he's just making stuff up to make him seem more mad than he is yeah but he did confess to three other crimes as well the the danger with any kind of murder case that happened with the black dahlia for example you had scores of people confessing to that crime oh, indeed. scores of people coming up i did it i did it i did it they were they did. In, in quoted comma <laughs> in, in inverted commas not jobs people who were just willing to confess to crimes so if you confess to one crime and if you're that much of an egotist was he just confessing no. to all manner of other things and said, oh, I've read about these people. I'm going to make up a story behind it. The other thing that was reported. Okay. He was Jack the Ripper. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, I, I made that up. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I was like, well, how old was this man? <laughs> what? Uh, it's very funny. <laughs> he was Jack the Ripper. He was, no, Nick. He was Jack the Ripper's son. Oh, yes, that's even better. Jack the Ripper's son. <laughs> Jack the Ripper Jr. <laughs> that is an angle we need to explore. How many Jack the Ripper Jr. theories have Jack, there? Jack the Ripper Jr. John. He's John the Ripper. John the Ripper. John the Melter. John the the Rippy Melty Man. Not not very good. No, not very good. No, 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 I need to think of better on that one. <laughs> but tell us your thoughts and your theories, people. What do you think of this story? Have you heard it before? Do you have feelings about it? <laughs> Share your feelings with us. Share your ideas of different cocktails that can be concocted based on a fur coat. Or have you got any other ones that you could link to that episode, then do let us know. Indeed. And keep sending us suggestions of more stories that we can cover, old and new. Newer ones we tend to cover on Patreon. So if you haven't joined Patreon already, come and find us over there. Lots of stories, lots of banter for a few pennies a month. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. We have been the people inside the Poisoner's Cabinet. We will see you next week. And remember, your loved ones are trying to kill you. Bye.